All of the podcasts here at the Sideshow Network are now at the touch of a button on your iPhone and iPad. With the new Sideshow Network app, tune into all your favorite podcasts here at the Sideshow Network. Go to iTunes App Store, search for Sideshow Network, and download our free app to stream all of your favorite Sideshow Network podcasts at any time you want. The top comedians in the world are at your fingertips with the Sideshow Network app for iPhone and iPad. So you're thinking about starting a new website? Maybe you have a new small business idea and want to tell someone or sell something online. Maybe you want to show off your photography. Or maybe you want to start that new podcast. Ah, huh. that's a great idea. <laughs> GoDaddy is offering one new or transfer.com for just $1.99 for the first year. That's impossible. They're always $99.99 or $12.99. They're $12.99, but right now GoDaddy's offering one new or transfer.com for just $1.99 for the first year. On the actual internet or is this some BS sub-internet? No, no, this is GoDaddy.com. Right. We all use GoDaddy.com. Everything I have is on GoDaddy.com. I know. And each new .com comes with a free instant page website and a built-in photo album, so what are you waiting for? I don't Get believe Get your new it. website started today. I think it sounds like a scam. It can't possibly be GoDaddy's true. GoDaddy's not a scam. They have... Uh, uh, that hot check, Danica Patrick, for mm-hmm. their stuff. So it's not a scam. Plus, I use it for everything. It better not be a scam. <laughs> Go to GoDaddy.com and enter the code FORK at the checkout or click on the GoDaddy banner on our website. And you're all set to go. Fork you if you don't take advantage of this incredible GoDaddy deal. I'm going to take advantage of it. Hey, it's just an American thing. This is A Fork on the Road. I'm Mark DiCarlo, and next to me, as always, is the lovely and talented traveling diva, Yenny Alvarez DiCarlo. This is episode 28, and it's all about the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia. Yay! We were there this past weekend at the Taste of Philadelphia, and man, oh man. It was tasty. Wasn't it? Yes, it was. The minute you hear Philadelphia, the first thing everyone thinks is, oh, the Philly cheesesteak. Like they're geniuses when they're talking about food from Philly. Yes, there are Philly cheesesteak sandwiches, but there was so much more there. There was wine, there was uh, liquor, there was limoncello, uh, there was food, the there was food chefs, there was, was fun. Delicious. Yeah, it really all was. All the chefs were the top chefs, and um, they all made a ton of fantastic recipes. And you think, well, I'm only going to get a little bit, and I'm, you know, maybe the food is not so great. But no, they have. Fantastic soups. I'm a soup girl. Mm-hmm. And Everybody my, says that about you. My favorite And ironically, soups. the one person that's, that stepped in for you, the one show that you couldn't make, John Hotchkiss, he was a soup guy. Maybe really? that's just a soup chair. Oh, well, there you go. Solid food for me. Soup forever the co-host Soup is, is good food. They had Southwestern pumpkin soup with cumin, which I figured out right away, and I had to talk to the people at it's the um, cumin. Uh, Letterac Cumin. Cumin. Really? In English, it's it cumin. cumin. No. Cumin. Well, I had to. Um, you speak I had to three talk languages, so it's okay. Letter act tea room people. The chef Matthew Blassie mm-hmm. is going to give us his recipe for Southwestern pumpkin soup Ooh. with cumin. And where are we going to post that? We're going to post it on the website. Which is? Aforkontheroadshow.com. Aforkontheroadshow.com. You can also follow us on Twitter. I'm Mark DeCarlo at Twitter. She's 
Traveling, Traveling Diva. Diva at Twitter. You can follow us as we go around the country. We've been to a lot. We were at the Jazz Festival. We've been all over the country this past weekend. We had a great time at the Taste of Philadelphia in Valley Forge, uh, Pennsylvania. And that's what this whole show is all about. So if you ever wanted to go to Philadelphia, you want to reminisce about Philadelphia, you have found the right show. We're going to talk. And you have ab- to go during the Taste of Philly show. Oh, it's the best. Ugh. So we went to the Taste of Philly. We're going to talk about the uh, the Urban Adventure Tour of the historical sites of Philadelphia. We're going to talk to this hilarious 14-year-old kid who runs his, he's, he's the CEO no, what is he? I have his card here. He is the sales and marketing director. He's 14. Really, he is. If you remember Family Ties, he is Alex P. Keaton he's smoother, personified. But he's smoother than he Alex. He can sell ice to an Eskimo. Yeah. He's either going to end up president or in jail by the time he's 21. <laughs> he's too smart uh, to be. Sean Bruce from gothummus.com. Um, we're going to be talking to him. I also wrote a piece for my Huffington Post column that you can check out uh, at Huffington Post with some video of him working his magic. Let me tell you, <laughs> this 14-year-old kid, the ladies love him, especially the sisters. <laughs> sisters were all over his he ass. He is so cute. I want to hire him to work for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, y- he could sell hummus to an Arab. He really could. He's this redheaded, you know, fair-skinned Adorable. kid. The sisters love him. Gothummus.com, we're going to be talking to him live from the festival. We're also going to be talking to uh, Hell's Kitchen chef Barbie Marshall. Mm-hmm. She's got some good stuff going on. Oh, she had a fantastic soup, too. Was it pumpkin? Yes, pumpkin with pumpkin seeds. And then we're going to close the show with a, our cooking segment. We found some really great new cookware. You know, there's been a lot in the news lately about you can't cook with aluminum pans anymore because uh, they're finding links to Alzheimer's disease there because little pieces of aluminum scrape off your food and go into your brain and that's no good. Another thing in the news is uh, you can't cook with aluminum pans anymore because they're finding that that links to Alzheimer's disease. You just said that. Oh my God. We need new pans. Um, So we found some really great American made cookware. This is uh, really great stainless steel stuff. We're going to be talking to the guy that invented that. American made. Imagine that. You know stuff made in America, and so a- everything all Philly because this country started in Philadelphia. The first Continental Congress was in Philadelphia. The Liberty Bell, Philadelphia. It's broken. Independent. They got to fix that. It's the sequester. The Independence Hall where they they discussed and wrote and refined Thomas Jefferson's Declaration of Independence and signed it in Philadelphia. It's beautiful, by the way. Beautiful city. The buildings are gorgeous, and people live in those cute little houses. In the historical houses, do they really? Yes, they do. Ah. They just... um, I was just going to say, also, the historical ECW arena for pro wrestling uh, (laughs) is in uh, (laughs) Philadelphia as well, right around the corner from Tony Luke's. And what makes it so historical? Well, because that's where a certain genre of wrestling that became huge in the the U.S. wrestling uh, history Mm -hmm. uh, started on the corner of Swanson and Rittner at the new Alhambra Arena, which was also a bingo hall. Look at that. Yeah. So. Did, did not know that Philadelphia was also the, the cradle of wrestling. Philadelphia. What, what, what brand of wrestling? Like pro, professional wrestling. Like the Jerry Lawler brand? Yeah, like the stuff where, but, but in this case, a lot of, there's a lot of chairs and a lot of... Uh, mayhem wrestling. Mayhem wrestling, oh, I yeah. I like the mayhem wrestling. <laughs> stuff like that, yeah. Because it's there's so mayhemic, mayhem it's real. Yeah, you yeah, can tell. Great. Yeah, and, then uh, a guy gets hit with a table, and then he just goes, and then gets right back up. Yeah, that's basically what uh, what they're known for in Philly. Well, I think that's much more important than the founding of our nation, Sean. Thank you so much for tipping that in. <laughs> I mean, nations can be founded anywhere, but wrestling, yeah, that's important. And Rocky Balboa, 
So wrestling and boxing kind I of know, linked I with Philadelphia. I know, I kept seeing Rocky statues everywhere. I'm like, I'm not here for Rocky. Yeah, but that's where the movie was filmed. It was I filmed know, in Philadelphia. They have like Rocky Alley, Rocky this, Rocky that. They have a big old statue. Yeah, now I have been to Philadelphia. Center. I was in Philadelphia many times uh, for Taste of America, and I've been back several times since. I've been to all the historical things, but this was Yenny's first trip to Philadelphia. Uh, you were born in Cuba. Yes. You became a legal citizen not have about an three or four years hall. ago. No, you don't. Not in Cuba. <laughs> you have a dependence hall in Cuba. So in that's not a good joke. Dependence hall. I have a revolution plaza. Do you? Is there really plaza de la revolución? Yeah. Which means revolution plaza for those of you that are Spanish challenged. But <laughs> none of that matters because we're talking, trying to anyway, about Philadelphia. So you got to go on. Um, we were talking to some people from Urban Adventures a couple yes, weeks ago. We were talking to um, from the uh, the, the American- Urban Adventures LA. <laughs> right. And um, I remember that because she made a really great impression on me. I want to go to a place and hang out with the locals. And um, it's, you know, the the, um, the people that really take you in and you don't go to the tourist attractions. Although we did go see, um, I did take the history of Philadelphia NHD. Well, there are some places where you want to take the tour. Like if you yeah. go to Washington, D.C., I think, the, if it's, especially if it's your first time, yeah. you want to take the tourist tour of dc and you want to see the white house and the yeah. mall and you want to see all those things no they don't that was especially beautiful. if you try really hard <laughs> it's not good but in philadelphia there's so many great historical things to see oh, that Carter you have to take that tour but you don't want to take an uh, you know like a, a you dumb take one the tour you want to take the tour with the locals so how do you adventures. find a good tour how did you was your tour good it was great. All right, then I how mean, did you find it and was what was it? Fantastic. Urban Adventures, they're in every major city and it's all run by locals and they're very knowledgeable. This kid, I think his What name did was you Jeff. Google? Urban Adventures Urban Adventures Philadelphia. Okay. And I spoke to Andy and Andy gave me the rundown and all the tours and which ones he liked and which ones he recommended mm-hmm. and um, the history um, of Philadelphia and HD was one that I wanted to take. What does that I mean? How can you do history in HD? You know what? We tried asking that question. I think because it's live and you get to see it and you get to touch it and you get to taste it because at the end of the tour, they give you a beer. Ah, why? Was beer a invented in Philadelphia? Beer, a craft beer by a company named Triumph. Um, everything in Philadelphia has this historical... Um, spin to it. Well, that's true. You learn about, at least we learned about when I was in school here mm-hmm. in America, you learn about the se- the signing of the Declaration of Independence. You yeah. learn about the Revolutionary War. You learn about all these but things. But those and documents are not there. That They're at the Smithsonian. Yes, they are. Yeah, they are. Because uh, they have been a very special case. But to see the places that you learned about in the abstract and then to actually be in, standing yeah. in Independence Hall. And feel the architecture. Hall. You yeah, know, we walked amazing. on cobblestone roads uh-huh. and um, he was telling us how... Oh, so how, where did the tour start? What, did, what was it, And how long was it? Just fill me in because I, I had to work. It started at Independence Hall. Yes. And uh, they gave us a rundown of everything. Did you actually we go into Independence no, Hall? No, no, no. We went around. You can't go in? No, not yet. I mean, you could, but there were a lot of people in there, and he said, you know, that's not that big a deal. Let's go on to the bigger ones. Okay. <laughs> he took us to, oh, Carpenter's house. The Carpenter house mm-hmm. was beautiful. I love looking at these old buildings and the architecture, and the houses are really tiny. Yeah, people were smaller back then. They were. 200 years ago, people were, not, were you know, shorter. They were tiny. Smaller. And, uh, oh, we passed by the historical houses and they told us all these things that were there back then when we didn't have, when they didn't have um, the little lookout, the lookout um, holes in the door. And back then, it, during the war, 
Um, if, um, if a soldier came by and knocked on your door and you were home, you were forced to house them for the night or for as long as they wanted to. So they invented it's because we didn't have a, comp- a constitution that now expressly forbids that. Yes. But they had little mirrors set up mm-hmm. so that you were in the back of the house and you saw who was at the front door and they were called busybodies. <laughs> I think that's really funny. And then you didn't, you pretended like you weren't home. You didn't have to house any soldiers. Wow. So they couldn't break in. No. But if you, it's like a vampire. If you, if open, you open the, the door, door, then they can come in. Well, no, you have to invite a vampire in. They ah. can't just come in. The door can be open. You have to invite them in. But a soldier, you don't have to invite them in. If you open the door, they if can you're come home, in. So soldiers trump the door. vampires. <laughs> well, soldiers don't have superpowers. Do wrestlers trump soldiers and vampires, Sean? Where do wrestlers fall in that triumvirate? Um, well, well, I mean, there are wrestlers who are also soldiers and wrestlers who have portrayed vampires. Oh, I did not know this. Yeah, there's been multiple ones, so... <laughs> If you people could only see the earnestness and seriousness in serious. Sean's face as he describes two mythical creatures in one, a wrestler and a vampire. How's a wrestler a mythical creature? Well, everyone knows that wrestling is fake. Yeah, but they're not but they're real humans. They're no, not like I, they're like minotaurs. No, I think some of them are minotaurs. Well, there was a wrestler called is, Minotaur. <laughs> he is sci-fi deficient. I understand. So, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give him that. Well, I, 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 yes, they're actual human beings, but their job is fantasy. It's they're like strippers, right. except they beat people up. Oh my god! Well, I wouldn't go. I wouldn't be that. I wouldn't put it in that light. They're okay, not. but we we at least agree that wrestling is fake. Uh, well, yeah, that's obvious. Okay. It's, it's, it's wrestling well, is definitely predetermined. But it's fun. It's entertainment. It's, okay. you know, John Cena in really tight tights. Right. Okay. All right. I just yeah. wanted to. So, so there have been wrestlers who are vampires and. Who are uh, so we're, we're portrayed soldiers. soldiers such as Sergeant Slaughter? Him, I actually Corporal remember. Kirshner, right? Uh, general Dynamics. No, there was no General, general Dynamics. Uh, who, there was a. There were. Um, oh, sure, there was Private Jim Nelson. Private. Which one was the the vampire? The main vampire guy with the black eyes and the long black hair. Oh, this is supposed to be a that? Philadelphia oh, show. Wrestling? How have yeah. we devolved into wrestling again? Uh, the Undertaker. Warrior? Undertaker. But he's not a vampire. He's not a vampire. He looks he's like a zombie. Vampire. Oh, he's forget that. There were other wrestling vampires. Um, there was Gangrel. Um, there was the Vampire Warrior. Sure. Oh, maybe that's the one I remember. Yeah, the yeah, warrior, yeah. The vampire. For those of you that are studying this transcript in the Library of Congress, uh, <laughs> let's get back to Urban show. Adventures. Yes. All right. So you're in Philadelphia for the first time, taking your They're historical fantastic. tour, let's and you talk saw about the, this guy. you figured out a way to keep the soldiers out. What did you go see? The Liberty Bell. I know you wanted to do yes, that. Yes, it's broken. Right. It's cracked. Yes. But it's right across the street from Independence Hall. Yes, and right? Visitor Center. You can park right under. Right. And the, the Liberty Bell originally was in the bell tower of Independence yes, and Hall. They carried it to across where it the is street. Right. Now. right. One of my favorite. I don't. I do not like Broadway musicals. I think they're cheesy and predictable and, in general, lame. There's some that I do like. I like uh, Guys and Dolls. Um, uh, uh, the w- one with the witch. Wicked was good. Wicked. Um, the the one we just saw. Pippin was great. Uh, one of my favorite ones, though, was 1776. Which you made me watch. Because it's great. It is. William I Daniels is in it. it. Howard DeSilva, Ken Howard. Great cast. Great music. And it was, a lot of it was shot in Philadelphia yes. where it all happened. So it's a great, great historical uh, document. So, uh, and so, they sing about a turkey. Right. Because Ben Franklin originally wanted the 
national bird of America to be the turkey because it was a noble bird. It provided food and sustenance, and it was indigenous to America. Oh, um, speaking of Ben Franklin, um, after the tour, when we got we, we grabbed a beer, I was hanging out with the rest of the people that were taking the tour, which were this lovely family from um, from L.A., from Rancho Cucamonga, mm. the Goods, who were related to Sarah Goodman or Sarah Good from um, one of the first witches that was burned somewhere around Pennsylvania. So I thought that was very fun. <laughs> Just a fantastically historical so weekend. After that, and we had that great beer. Um, it was a oh, what was it? It was a chocolate milk stout from Triumph, and it was craft beer, delicious. I couldn't really drive back, so we you know they invited me to go hang out with them and have dinner with them. We went to um, City Tavern, which was established in 1773. I believe it is the oldest. It's the oldest restaurant in America. We were there for Taste of America as well, and that's where they planned. And wrote a lot of the yes. revolutionary stuff. So I stuff. was really excited to go there because the people are, are still dressed in period garb mm-hmm. and they speak like you know they could have they should have spoken back then. Right, they speak and, their language. Um, and uh, they have beer pairings. For example, they have General Washington's Tavern Porter, which is brewed from a genuine recipe on file at the rare manuscripts room of the New York <laughs> Public Library. Mm. So this is what uh, Washington used to drink. He brewed it himself. Jefferson, in, 19, in 1774, we have Thomas Jefferson's Tavern Ale, and he made beer twice a year. Did you know that? I know a lot, but he's my favorite. Well, did you know Jefferson he made and Adams beer? are my favorites. Yes, he did everything. He made beer. He was a farmer. He was a scientist, this, dancer. Well, this, was, this beer was made, they, they gave us a flight of beer, uh-huh. um, and this one was made from his original recipe. Yeah. Is that, that's he brought weird. he brought he brought a lot of plants from Europe to America and started farming them here. Mm. I believe tobacco being one of them. Um, well, and so, the city tavern is also famous because back in the day, when all these representatives came from other parts of the country and they were trying to figure out how to break free from Great Britain and, mm-hmm. and what the shape of the new country would be, they would all meet at this place I because you, the, you couldn't be caught talking about revolution in public Mm -hmm. because the British would hear you and they'd throw you in jail. Sedition. So they would meet there and they would quietly sit in the back and they would drink and they would talk. It's kind of like today except now we sit and drink about sports. Back then they were talking about something important like uh, the founding of a new country. So it's a very great historical spot and the people, they all dress up. It's a great... Um, I love the city. It was fantastic. I thought everything. And you got to drink two hundred year old beer recipe. I know. So that was fun. I know you were very excited about Philadelphia before you went. Are you were were you satisfied? Was it everything you hoped it would be? It was actually prettier, and it had a lot um, more things to do than I thought it would. Yeah. And as I was um, driving away, the nightlife—it's great. They have a cute little downtown, and um, you get to hang out and eat and drink and um, go see a show. They had live music playing across the street. I think from Bet. Ross's house, which, as I found out, she was not an old woman. She was in her 20s. Well, she must she, have been like 28 the late, the, at, at most. She's old now. The first woman to actually, um, you know, put a flag together. Right. And do you know that the um, the flag was supposed to have six, the Jewish six-pointed star? But she said that she could get the five-pointed star out of one piece of cloth. So, to save cloth and... <laughs> And time, they changed it into a five We've always star. been a thrifty country, even from the very, very beginning. I think that's a great idea. And she was in her 20s. Yeah. 
Well, people didn't, didn't live as long that. back then, right? When I, all the photos I've seen, you you know, she's portrayed as this, you know, grandmother sewing quietly in her chair. That's not how it was. No, she was like, mm-p, 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 mm-p. she was at a big disco <laughs> she was sewing. At most which I think is very brave for a woman in those times to actually go through that because if she got caught, she wouldn't just go to jail. She would just, you know, she'd be killed right away. They would kill people for making a flag from a different country? Yes. Who told you that? Andy? <laughs> Our tour guide. Andy the tour guide? No, Jeff was Well, the no, they, they, everything had to happen secretly. I mean, it's a revolution. And typically, when you're making a revolution, the people against whom you're rebelling, well, do you like treason. it? Yeah, it is treason. Unless you win, and then and eh, it's not treason. Then you get your own country, which we did, thankfully. And that's why we were in Philadelphia this weekend at the Taste of Philadelphia. We had all kinds of great and delicious food. What was Uh, your favorite part? um, I think my favorite part was meeting that kid. Oh, he was unforgettable. I was there signing books and doing a show. And uh, they have a big culinary stage there. And I was on stage with a couple of the chefs from Hell's Kitchen and cooking. We cooked some some, uh, beef. We cooked some seared tuna. We with made, arugula salad. Yeah, we made some chili. We made all kinds of really good stuff. And then I'm sitting there, and this kid who looks like he's 10 turns out to be 14. Well, you look at him, you're looking at him through your eyes. I'm sure that everybody else at his age looks like him. No, he looks 10. He's, he's, he's young. And until he opens his mouth, then... then he's 20. No, he's, he's, a, he's oh ageless. <laughs> this kid, Sean Bruce II, is the sales and marketing director of a company called um, uh, GotHummus.com. And they sell hummus in tubs and they ship it all over the country. And the kid evidently has started ten, uh, four years ago at the Taste of Philly. One of the chefs, uh, uh, guy brought him up, Chef Guy brought him up on stage. And the chef Guy Mitchell, one of the White House chefs, we're going to talk to him too when we do our Washington show. Uh, so Guy Mitchell brought him up when he was ten years old, and the kid just took over the stage. And now he's fourteen, and it's like he comes over to me, and I go, "Oh, you're going on stage in a minute. Are you nervous?" And he goes, "Nah, I got this." And I'm thinking, "Oh, this little kid's pretty cocky." Then I give him a microphone. <laughs> it was hilarious. Winking at the girls and telling about hummus. This is the best hummus you'll ever have. It's fantastic. It's delicious. And it's not even cocky. He's so confident. He is confident. Like How I said, how do you have that much confidence when you're 14? I've never met anyone who is was as much of a born salesman as this guy. He's Alex B. Keaton. He's more than that. So I, I took him aside, and uh, we did an interview backstage at the uh, at the cooking theater there. So this is my new best friend, 14 year old uh, Sean Bruce from GotHummus.com. America. Hummus entrepreneur, Sean. You, you have your own business, right, Sean? Mm-hmm. Yes. And what's it called? It's called Got Hummus. And what do you know about hummus? What's your last name? Bruce, B-O-U-C-E. And I, were you brought up in a hummus household? No. Where, where'd you come up with the hummus idea? Hummus just came about from my uncle and my mother. They brought me in on it, and they said, he, you know, he's great in sales. He's been selling candy, cologne. You're, you're 14 years old. How can you yeah. be great in sales at 14? It was at 10, when I started at 10. I what were you selling, selling when you were 10? When I was 5, I sold uh, candy. Uh, I sold cologne when I was 8. I sold dog treats. Um, that didn't work out. They went moldy. I sold uh, what else? I, I sold a bunch of stuff. Like you would go door to, ban- yeah. door to door knocking on doors and selling no, stuff? 
just just neighbors see him outside. Hey, you want to buy this? You know, walking around. So you were a, hu- a five-year-old hustler. Yeah. So on the weekends, you did this. Were you skipping school? Were you doing school? No, I was doing it Wednesday nights, and I was doing it just any day, Fridays, Saturdays, stuff like that. Now it's turned into a full-time thing, and I'm sales and marketing director for the God Hummus Company by Fresh Appeal. And you're 14 years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you go to school? Yes. Why? Well, you have to. You still have to get a full education on some part of it, right? This stuff just came natural. The other stuff has to come educationally. Right. <laughs> what was it about the process of selling things that appealed to you? Well, first, it was money. Because I, <laughs> I learned that money bought you Christmas presents. I never believed in Santa. So I said, hey, if it buys you all these nice uh, Christmas presents, I can buy anything I want. Well, I made $500, and it's not because of selling candy. It's because of getting cavities from the candy. It cost my mom and dad thousands, but it cost me nothing. But it gave me money because my uncle used to give me $20 each cap I would lose. I had eight caps on my teeth. That's kind of where it all began. I had the money, so that's when I started my cologne business with the $450. Wasted my money on all that cologne. Stink. What does a five-year-old know about cologne? Well, I was eight at the time. Oh, that's different than yeah. eight-year-olds. you got to have cologne if you're eight. you got to have cologne if you're eight because you're starting to stink. Now I'm 14. You need it every second of the day. I have my little carry-on bottle with me right now. Yeah? What's, what's your fragrance of choice right now? Well, usually when I'm not wearing this watch, I'm, I'm wearing my Ed Hardy watch, but they said it was too big. Three inches, I'm assuming, is too big. I don't know how. But uh, I like Ed Hardy, Calvin Klein. Um, there's all sorts of names out there. I like some small brands. Big. Oh, Cuban. That's it. Cuban Cuban was my first cologne I've ever put on myself. It is, and it looks like a cigar. It's tall and it goes into a metal tube. It is awesome. They're really cheap. I, get, I used to get them for $12. I don't use them anymore. I'm trying to find them wholesaler, distribution, stuff like that. So the, the, the 14-year-old ladies, are they responding to the, the uh, cologne? Um, I honestly don't care about that stuff, but when I'm out in public and, like, you know, stuff like that, they're like, oh, look, it's a little cute little 14-year-old. But I look like I'm nine because of my height. You know? Yeah, but the cologne adds a couple of years of, well, of, of sophistication and elegance, yeah? Maturity. Right. But they don't, they don't, kids my age don't relate to that today. They're more about video games, iPhone, smartphone. Now, I'm not putting down an iPhone. I love my iPhone, but um, it's just... It's a whole different class level between me and the kids today. It's just well, I can agree with the kids today with the yeah. rock and roll music. It's pop. crazy. It's pop. They call it pop. Hip hop and rock. Pop and rock. You're 14. Mm-hmm. You started the homeless company, or a homeless company hired you? Um, I can't, I got on board right when the ship was built. I'll say it like that. So when my monk, my, my when my mother and uncle got together to build this company. They put me as the as the captain of of direction and all that. So instead of hiring a grown up, mm-hmm. they hired you. Yeah, basically, yeah. Because I would learn from it, and I would grow into the business, and I would um, achieve more. And if I was just the kid sitting at home right now and saying, "My mommy's at work," what would that teach me? It would teach me that my mommy's at work and that she's at work and she's making money to pay for the house. But instead, they brought me out into the marketplace at 10 years old, and they said, "Sean, this is what it looks like to sell." Sean, this is how you do business. Sean, this is what you say to people. And they say, well, we don't need to tell you this because you kind of know what to do. You've been selling. You have, I, it's ever since I was five or ever since I was four, I always, had a matru- um, I always had a maturity level. I would always talk to grown-ups no matter what. I'd always talk to strangers, not like creepers in the like black alleys. But I'd talk to people, like, say, at a restaurant. How are you doing today? I'm a motivator. I'm an inspirational speaker. I, I can do all things. I mean, I can't do all things, but, you know. Stuff like that. So what is it about the hummus that you like so much? 
Uh, just the the clientele that I get to reach, the people. Um, I mean, I didn't know what hummus was. I honestly didn't. I bet a lot of people in America don't know what hummus is. Let's start there. What is exactly hummus? Hummus is chickpeas. The the ladies love it. They they say it's healthy. People believe. The ladies it. love it. Yeah, they they believe you can smear it on your face and and your fake your face will get creamier and they say, oh yeah, it's a nice moisturizer. I don't think I'm gonna be putting blazing buffalo hummus on my face anytime soon. Unless it has some cucumbers, which is a nice dip, but. Putting that on my eyes, I don't think so. But if the ladies think it's going to help their face, you just, you, you just say, yeah, you're right. Go for it. I don't care. That's the first rule of selling. Yeah. Don't be an idiot. Don't be an idiot. Right. Don't talk yourself out of a sale. <laughs> right. You got that one. So you're developing all these different flavors of hummus? Yeah, chocolate cherry, blazing buffalo, chipotle black bean, um, lemon kale, let's see, uh, pumpkin, uh, harvest pumpkin, also known as summer pumpkin in the summer, just a little, more, a little bit more lighter, and uh, chocolate cherry and cranberry apple. Three all sorts of flavors. What do you want to be doing when you're 20? When I'm 20? Well, uh, well, let's see. Uh, I want to be in sales. I want to be uh, in politics. Oh, you're um, a natural for that. I, I love politics, you know. But, I mean, I'll, I'll go wherever the Lord calls me to go, and I, I love that kind of stuff. If you were running the country right now, what would you do to fix our problems? Well, first I would assess the situation more, and I probably can't answer that the best because I'm not the president and he knows more than I do so if I were to fix this country I would have to be in office right now to like know what's going on before I would answer that so we would we would have to elect you then you would tell us what you would do well I would have to be maybe not that but if I had if I had an idea on what to do um I would probably say best I would assess the situation um like I I'll I'll share with this I'm not trying to subtract the story but I'm I'm gonna tell you the uh the answer to this is when I was five years or six years old, I went to Philadelphia a lot, um, which is, I, I love that city. I'm, I'm two hours from there. Um, I, I love the homeless. I love helping them. Um, just this year, I started helping them more, more than just giving them money, more than just serving them a meal from a McDonald's um, drive through window. I now started a revolutionized thing that I would like to take national. Um, it's called, where well, I take food trucks. And I take them to the streets, and I, right now I have 14 food trucks in Philadelphia, PA. I'm looking to go to Baltimore. I'm looking to go to New York City, looking to go to any, any city in the world that would have a food truck or a food mobile or a restaurant that would open their doors. Um, I pay for the food. I pay for your time. I pay for your gas, your generator. You just show up. I have volunteers to serve. I mean, I, I mean, since I've been in the food industry since I'm 9 and 10, I kind of know about the surf safe stuff. So that's kind of what got me active on the food truck side of it. It gives them a sense of dignity. That's our main mission. Um, I have people donate to my uh, Facebook. I have a website for that. So just like me asking if I was president, um, before I even helped the homeless, I assist the situation. Same with being president. I wouldn't become president until I assist the situation of what's going on around me. Now, it changes every second of the day, that what's going on. Like right now, news is breaking out all over the world, so I can't take time to, you know, adjust to that, and 20 years from now, it's going to be totally different. You're right. So it's a totally different scenario. Personally, I don't know if I wanted to be president because of all the crap they get on them. Um, they always, who, who do they point the finger to when time comes? The guy in charge. The guy in charge, right. okay? But really, it was one of the guys down here in the kitchen that didn't do the job right. You're you right. can't just blame the chef, right. you know? Wonderful chefs are good, but if the server doesn't deliver it right, then that's not right. the head 
Chef. Where can people go to donate to your uh, homeless project? You can go to my Facebook. Um, it's called, if you type in on Google search, you can type in Brothers Through Christ Facebook page, and you can find, I mean, I have 41 likes, but right now we're in the works of getting a, a face, uh, website and stuff like that. Or if you want to um, find me on the Internet, just type in Twitter, um, Sean Bruce Jr., or stuff like that, or Instagram, stuff like that. And where can we get your hummus? You can order my uh, hummus online at www.gothumus. That's hummus.com. That is 14-year-old firebrand Sean Bruce Jr. And the hummus is actually delicious. I like the buffalo hummus. Thank you. Thank you. And the, uh, the, the chipotle was really good, too. Uh, I expect great things, Thank Sean. You, Congratulations. I'll see you here next year. Thank you. Sweet. America, you know, God done shed his grace on thee. Do you see what I mean about that kid? Go to Huffington Post this week. I wrote a piece about him, and I have some video of him working the crowd. You have to see him in action. He's 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 a force of nature. There'd be six grown-ups standing around talking. Sean would walk up to the group, and in two minutes. Everyone would be just enamored with him. Very personable, great young kid, uh, very successful, and uh, you know he'll be hiring. Every, he'll be hiring me someday. <laughs> well, I want to hire him before he hires you. And it's too late. He's he's already the sales. The kid's fourteen. And he's got business cards. <laughs> I love his. All I had when I was fourteen was acne. Sales and marketing. Yeah. And he hands out his cards like he's selling he's selling Porsches in Malibu. Here you go, honey. Show us, sweetheart. Kissing up to the girls. He's just a he's hilarious. Uh, and and uh, check out the, the hummus was actually pretty good. He has it all was. these goofy it flavors. They're like a chocolate hummus. Cranberry apple, the spicy buffalo. That was good. I like that. And the, chip- yeah. the chipotle one I liked too. Mm, yum. They were very good. So uh, that's 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 Sean Bruce the second. Um we also had a chance to uh, meet a lot of really cool chefs there. And one person from Hell's Kitchen, who I would love to talk to, is Barbie Marshall, because she went through that entire thing. And she made some really good recipes, right, over the weekend of the fantastic. Taste of Philadelphia. Like what did I she said, make? Well, she made a pumpkin uh, soup. Uh-huh. Was it? Yeah, pumpkin soup with pumpkin seed that was delicious. Um, she also made, she has all these, she has a farm. All her recipes. Her husband's from a farmer farm. and she's a chef. And right now, we're going to get her on our show. Let's welcome Barbie Marshall. <music> chef Barbie Marshall from Hell's Kitchen, welcome to A Fork on the Road. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So, where are we finding you now? We last saw you in Philadelphia. Are you still in Philly? Um, no, today I'm actually at the White March Country Club, and I'm doing a charity event here tonight with Katie Logan, who wrote a book, Homegrown Cocktails, Shakespeare Pour, and I was featured in it with one of my recipes. So it's for silent auction, and I've been shaking and pouring cocktails tonight, which is very unlike me, but fun. (laughs) (laughs) We were talking earlier, I think you have a great setup, you know, Yenny and I are married and we work together, and, um... It's 99% good. You and your husband kind of work together because he's he's like a ZZ Top farmer and you're a chef. Yes. He is a what we call a minimum impact farmer. So he farms very traditional methods, not conventional. 
He doesn't use any harsh chemicals or sprays. And we actually met because I was a chef in a restaurant and he was delivering my produce. I got your produce right here for you, Barbie. What line did he use? Um, he actually invited me to a farm party and he told me, who, and I'm a city girl, that he, I could pitch a tent in his field and I stood him up. <laughs> that sounds filthy. What kind of tent? <laughs> that sounds, I was like, this that is sounds really nasty. I could come to a party and pitch a tent? Where am, no, no way. Well, I'm sure he was pitching a tent. So the next tent. week he came back and he asked me out to dinner. Oh. Wow. That's a good line. Yeah. Yeah. I'll pitch a tent. <laughs> Well, it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you guys been married? Uh, we've been together for eight years. Oh, that's great. Uh, so let's talk Here's about it. let's talk about Hell's Kitchen. I, I you know I watch that show and it just seems like that guy is such a jag off and screaming. And is he that bad in person? Is it that intense or is that just all made up for TV? No, it's definitely intense. But it depends on who you ask. And since you're asking me, I can absolutely tell you that Gordon Ramsay was a perfect sweetheart. He's such a gentleman. He's just so nice and so caring. And he really helped um, guide me through that whole experience. You know, it was the rest of my chef mates, my chef contestants, that made it harder for me than actually him. But he does have standards. And when you break his standards, he loses his mind. Clearly, and that, they seem to show a lot of that on the air. But, uh, you know, he, he's clearly successful, so there's nothing wrong with having standards. Uh, tell me about, so some of the other chefs were sabotaging you? Is that what was going on? Um, no, they were just, they were a little mean. I, like, I, I guess I fell in with, like, some mean girls, and it's all, it's, it's all, it's okay now. But at the time, it was, it was really a difficult experience to go through. And, but, you know, you are all I so kept likable. telling myself was, I'm going to be here. Doesn't matter what they say. Doesn't matter what they do. I know I can cook and I'm just going to be here. And you are. You're a real sweetie. I can't imagine. Everybody loves her. In Philadelphia, I'm walking around and I, I you know, I listen to what people say around mm -hmm. me about the person's booth. And everybody around Barbie's booth is listening like this, you know, prophet of food is talking <laughs> to them. And she's telling them about the food and about the farm and what she's making and how long it took. And, I mean, everybody's just in awe of Barbie. Everybody loves Barbie. Seriously, everybody Aww. around Even there Skipper was not only Ken. there for the food, which, by the way, that polenta with eggplant caponara, is that what Caponata, it was? Yeah. Caponata, was insane good. Wow, that was good. And uh, Barbie is going to give us the recipe for the website. Oh, tell us about it. Tell us, uh, tell us about this dish. So it's fall, and, you know, we have very many seasons here in Pennsylvania. We have all of the seasons. So right now we have eggplants, we have onions, we have tomatoes right now just because it's still like right before frost. So my Ian, my husband, he brought home all of these peppers and onions. And I said, you know, I have this show. I'll make a little bit of eggplant caponata. And caponata is just ratatouille without the squash. Everything that's in ratatouille, the eggplant, the zucchini, the peppers, the onions, the tomatoes. And without the squash, it's Italian caponata. So, you know, I, I just sauteed up these vegetables and I added a little bit of golden raisins and a little bit of fresh herbs. And then I made a polenta, to, a crispy polenta to go on top of it. So I wrote up the recipe for you, but I like to start people off in stages. 
So I wrote a beginner recipe. I did a soft polenta Mm -hmm. because that's so much easier and less time-consuming because the crispy polenta is like three, four steps, and it's more for an intermediate home cook. Mm -hmm. So I did a soft polenta, and then I wrote up the recipe for the caponata, and it's up on my website already for you. Great, and we will link to that uh, from our website, which is a forkontheroadshow.com. Um, I want to know what your favorite part of Taste of Philly was. My favorite part of Taste of Philly? Mm-hmm. Um, I have to say that being on stage with you, Mark, was absolutely You are my, so full of, of shit. Parts. You are so <laughs> full of shit. Come on. No, really, because, you know, the, the promoter came over to me not five minutes before then and said, hey, Barbie, can you do a demo for me? And I said, when? He said five minutes. I said, Oh, you're talking okay. about Chris Meyer, the man, the, the captain of the ship. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, he's he's a good friend of mine. And I said, yeah, sure, I can do it. And I and I said to him, look, the only thing that I have ready in five minutes is this pumpkin soup that I'm demoing from my booth right now. And that's how I just brought everything up there and did it. And then I found out that you were going to be up there with me. And I was just like, oh, oh, my goodness, this is fantastic. <laughs> so that actually was my favorite part because I was under pressure on the spot, didn't really have anything prepared, and I had a great, great co-host. What can you? What more can you ask for? Well, see, I didn't even know. Uh, we did have a good time. I didn't even know that um, that uh, you were pressed into action at the last minute. You, you were very calm and collected, and the recipe turned out great. It was delicious and very healthy. You know, we, we've talked to chefs in the past uh, on the show about this whole farm-to-table thing, and, you know, when, when you got 60% of Americans overweight and obese, I think this you, you can't talk about this enough. You know, you can, obviously people don't eat junk food, but you also want to get, or they shouldn't eat junk food because that's how you get fat. But also you got to be careful about the ingredients that you buy to make whatever you're cooking at home. Because and what if, you cook it in. Right. If you're buying Absolutely. crappy food, you're going to get soft and fat. So do you, you and your husband, do you, are you on, is it an organic farm? Do you do you feature his vegetables and his produce in your recipes? And, and how can people take what you guys have learned and what you're promoting and use it in their daily lives? So um, our farm only services restaurants and chefs, um, but we're not organic. We're sustainable. And what that and what's means the is difference? we have a very minimum impact approach to our farming practices. We don't use harsh chemicals or sprays. We use bugs to fight bugs. We harvest on Wednesday. We deliver on Thursday. The restaurants that we deliver to on Friday, we go to and we pick up their fryer oil. We take that fryer oil and we settle it out, filter it, and then we turn it into fuel. It's not biofuel. It's just filtered and settled and then put straight into an engine that's been designed to run off a waste vegetable oil. And we use that waste vegetable oil as fuel to heat our greenhouses in the hot water for the farmhouse and also as fuel for our delivery truck. So you're like a hippie chick. It's an entire cycle. Yes. And normally you just hear this kind of stuff from like hippie chicks in San Francisco. And you're, you're, you're not that. You're living in Philadelphia. And so is this whole thing kind of spreading out from the margins of society and being more uh, friendly, being adopted by more farms? His dad started the business 30 years ago. So, you know, while you had Alice Waters on the West Coast, you had Glenn Brundle on the East Coast with um, Judy Wicks with the White Dog Cafe. 
So it's not a new thing. It's just that we're becoming more aware of it. And more we're, mainstream. We want to know what's a GMO. What, 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 how do you determine whether you have something that's been genetically modified in your food? You have to go and you have to ask. Right. I tell people with my website, you know, go out to the farmer's market and ask them. Don't just rely on the sign. Just because you see a sign that says it's homegrown does not mean that it hasn't been sprayed. Right. You have to talk to the farmers. Um, the polenta recipe that I used was actually a roasted cornmeal from Haldeman's that is genetic, GMO-free. So I knew that it was GMO-free, and that's why I chose that particular product. And I think that there's a stigma that people think that healthy food shouldn't taste good, and it doesn't taste good. And I actually find it to be more flavorful than the addictive, salty, fattening stuff. I agree a thousand percent. Me too. There's a restaurant across the street, not actually down the hill from us, um, called Sun Cafe that's raw vegan. Every time I eat there on consecutive days, I feel better than I have ever felt. Because there's no extra well, garbage stuff. in, garbage out. Yeah, because there's no it, extra it, stuff. Absolutely. And when we were in Italy, we ate like pigs and walked around everywhere, and I lost weight. I also think a lot of people think it's more expensive to eat quality food, and if you go to a farmer's market, it's actually cheaper. Yeah. Because you're, you're cutting out it's a whole cheaper. layer of profit. And you know what? There are times where there is an extra expense. But let me tell you, I, I try to explain to people that there can be times where your produce is a little bit more expensive at the farmer's market. However, it was picked that day, which means that it has a much longer refrigeration and shelf life and storage life mm -hmm. than what you're going to buy that's been transported from who knows where. If you go in a grocery store and you get something, it wasn't picked yesterday. It may not even have been picked last week. If you go buy an apple, it may not even have been from this year. Yeah. But an if you go apple. to a farmer's market, then it's it was from this season. Mm -hmm. And you're right. I just read in the Week magazine last week that something like 40% of the food that people buy gets thrown away and not eaten. Yes. And so it, it's a great deal, but if you don't eat it, you're wasting your money. You're wasting your money, and then you're probably going and buying something junk food because you have your food rotting in your refrigerator. Right. So by, by buying stuff at the farmer's market, I think that's an excellent point. It's as fresh as it can be, and it's going to last longer in your fridge. So if you don't eat it today or tomorrow or two days from now, it's still going to be viable and delicious you know, a week, depending on whatever it is, maybe two weeks, two, whatever. Maybe yeah. Three. So you, you're you're getting a lot of extra value from the food, and you also you're dealing with the person that grows the food, which I think is important because I think there's a big war happening in the world, not just America, between these giant agribusiness companies that are making these GMO foods because they're easier to ship and they're filled with chemicals and they'll last and, longer and, and they'll make they more money. Care. Right? They don't care what people mm -hmm. end up yeah. eating, and and I and you know what. The truth is, nobody cares. You have, if you really care but about I, being healthy, you have to watch out for yourself and for yeah. your own family. And, and an easy, and economical way to do is that is from. to shop at farmers markets or at your Absolutely. farm. Yeah, shop local. And I would even add that you're not just doing something that's better for yourself and your family. It's actually better for your community because if you're buying from your local small farmers, you're contributing back to your circle of your community. You're right. And you're helping and keeping that economic platform up. You're right. You, you and Ian are doing great work. 
Great work, Barbie. Where can people, what's your website so people can go and see more of your recipes? My website is www.chefbarbie.com, and they can find me on Instagram at Barbie Marshall and Twitter on Facebook um, and LinkedIn, if necessary. You are a and digital diva. And then we also have the farm, which is um, Green Meadow Farm, and that's at G-M-F-A-R-M-E-R-S, so at GM Farmers. And that's in the Philadelphia area, correct? It's in Lancaster County, which is a western suburb of, of Philadelphia. Well, it was a pleasure meeting you. Uh, you're a fantastic cook. That Love squash soup was delicious. And uh, well, it, it all looks the same to me. <laughs> squash, pumpkin, they're cousins, aren't they? The squash and the pumpkin. Same family. Um, you know that uh, butternut, the butternut, the butternut squash is actually a hybrid of the neck pumpkin. So, yes, See? all related. So you thought it was a mistake. I was actually just uh, a couple steps ahead there. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> yes, you were. And um, are you going to be doing any more shows that we can, that people can go see you in? Um, I'm going to be on the Black Culinary Expo Tour, which starts next year, mm-hmm. and the Mid-Atlantic Food, Festival, Food and Wine Festival, which will be also in May of next year. Um, I have some charity events coming up locally in Pennsylvania, but as far as food shows, those are the next ones that I have coming up. I just finished this one in Philly, which was amazing, but huge. So I need yeah. a, I need a breathe. <laughs> <laughs> well, please keep in touch with us and let us know what you're doing so we can uh, have you back on the show and talk more to you. And, uh, Absolutely. it was great meeting you, Barbie. Thanks for coming you're on awesome, Fork Barbie. on the Road. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. We'll talk to you later. You Eat soon. well. She's a delight. I love everything about her. Everybody loves her. Mm -hmm. She is beautiful. She is great with people. She's great with food. The food is actually incredible. That polenta recipe, she was so nice to say yes when I asked her for it. But I got to tell you, I totally wanted it. I tasted it. I'm like, oh, I want this caponera polenta recipe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and she makes a good point. You know what? Fresh food is better food. You know, when we were in Italy, like you were saying, it's, it's just the colors of the food there are so much more intense than they are here. Yeah. You know, here... Groceries, I think, are marketed for profit, not taste. And they're supposed to look good because they make... Have you seen those L.A. tomatoes? They're perfect little tomatoes, but they taste like wax. Yeah, the heirloom tomatoes are my favorite. You've been buying the heirloom tomatoes, yeah. I dig them. And they're ugly, but they're real tomatoes. Well, but it's also much more healthy. And um, we were talking earlier in the show, there have been a lot of reports over the last year or two about um, aluminum pans and mm-hmm. pans that are coated with non-stick surfaces mm-hmm. and they're starting to find out it's, that it's all connected to cancer and different diseases and it may Alzheimer's. be we don't they don't know that for sure of course it is you're eating this foreign substance you're eating metal you're eating teflon you know people are walking around and if you test them everybody has teflon in their system who wants a non-stick coating inside of them nobody i'm sure there's some people that would want a non-stick coating inside them. Even clothes have Teflon. I mean, there are some people that pay people to pee on them. So I'm sure there are people. That is disgusting. Well, but it's true. We're not going to There are some that. people that pay We're money to go see. We're not going to talk about that. People, We're not going to talk about that. There are some people that pay to see wrestling. Everyone has different <laughs> choices. Sean's raising Completely his hand. Completely different from what you said before. But it, it there, there's, and we, we don't know for sure, the science is not in, but there, there are... 
there are some people who are starting to believe that these additives and these nonstick coatings and surfaces on cook, uh, cookware may not be completely healthy. And there was a guy at the show that we talked to who, A, is making things here in America, mm-hmm. uh, cookware and knives that were designed in America, made in America, and uh, he's an engineer. He's an electrical engineer. His his partner is some other kind of engineer, a mm-hmm. train engineer. I'm not you really... You forgot because you've been eating in aluminum pans. Right. Did I tell you that uh, aluminum pans may be linked to Alzheimer's? No, tell me again. Aluminum pans may be linked to Alzheimer's disease. You didn't tell me that. All right, we're not making fun of Alzheimer's, but I we got rid of all our aluminum pans like a year ago. Way longer than that. You and wa- you and you fought me on it. Well, because we didn't have a lot of pans. You also threw away a cast iron skillet, which... I didn't throw it away. You I did. I give it to, to uh, Raina. Whatever. You don't ever... Cast iron... You ask any chef in the world, cast iron skillets are... First of all, they last forever, and they're healthy because they're just But you know iron. why I gave it away? Because you didn't like drying it. Because you didn't clean it. I cook you clean. It's I cook my, you clean. No. I cook you clean. I take out the garbage. You clean the kitchen. That's the deal. You know, I'm going to start my own farm. When was the last time you took out the garbage? Really? We're going to discuss this here? Uh-huh. This morning. I took the garbage down to the street yeah, this morning. so did I. Because you forgot to take it out for a few weeks. You know what, baby? You look so sexy when you take the garbage down the street. Yeah, oh right. God, not going to happen. You were the most beautiful. I'm not that easy. You were the most beautiful wife I've I, ever had. True. You, you are one of the top five most beautiful <laughs> wives I've ever had. True. To this point. Very true. In time. Technically and legally. Anyway, so we uh, we met this guy. He's got American-made cookware and knives that uh, I used all during the show on Taste of Philadelphia. The knives were great. The cookware is great. And you know what? It's an American product that is healthy for you, good and economical. So let's meet him, shall we? America, America, got shed his grace on. And crown that good with brotherhood. We're live at the uh, Taste of Philadelphia 2013, and we're talking to Dave Malik, the president and CEO of Gunter Wilhelm Knives and Cookware. We, uh, we just finished doing our demo up here, and we used your knives. They were fantastic. Explain to people why chefs travel with their knives. You see chefs on the, on the subway. You see them walking around. The one thing... It's like guitar players. They always had their gig bag with their number one guitar on it. Why can't chefs just use whatever knives are available? Cutler is the best friend of the chef in the kitchen. Why? It's his best friend. It's his hand. It's his tool. It's like a mechanic uses his own tools, like a, a dentist uses his own tools, and it doesn't lend it to anyone else. A chef uses and travels with his own knives because they are his own. It's his specialty. It's like a limb. Of his, uh, it's part of his uh, life. Yeah, but uh, come on. It's passion. It's passion. One knife, they got to be all the same. No, no way. How are they different? First of all, there is not one knife that is good for everyone. Really? No one knife will suit every chef and every personality. Everyone has his own favorites, his own appeal, his own tweak. Thanks God, we are good for quite a few of the, of the, <laughs> of the chefs. They like us. So it's not unlike the guitar analogy, right? Some guys like to play a Gibson Les Paul. Some guys like to play a Fender Stratocaster. Exactly. It's, it's the feel, huh? It's the feel. It's the passion. It's the personality of their own chef. It can be a professional chef 
It can be an enthusiastic chef. It can be anyone that likes to cook. So I cannot tell them what is the right one for them. So this is why we have a variety of knives. Mm -hmm. So you have all kinds of knives. You have the traditional 8-inch or 10-inch chef knives. You have the Santuko, which is a more Japanese style, more Asian style. You have the pairing, you have the serrated knife. Each one has its own personality, its own task. Again, let's go back to the dentist. You have tools that are good for one activity. There are some tools that are better be done in a different way with a different set of tools. So each tool is designed for a certain activity in the kitchen. Uh -huh. Now you see, I see a lot of ads on late night TV where you can buy 50 knives for 20 bucks, 30 bucks, 40 bucks, and they'll never go, they, they'll never go dull. You can cut a tin can with them. Are those good knives? Are they bad I, knives? I cannot speak on their behalf, but um, as an engineer, I can tell you that metal, once it's used, it will have a wear and tear. Right, knives. that's what you would think. They say it never gets dull. I just cannot believe it. I cannot claim it about our knives. Uh, we claim that our knives are very good. They are very sharp. They are made from a 440C, high carbon, which is the metal of choice for iron knives. They hold the edge. However, they require maintenance. And by saying maintenance, they require honing and sharpening on a periodical uh, time when it's needed. If I would claim that uh, my knife don't get dull, it's against nature. Yeah, it sounds like total bullshit to me, which uh, is why... Well, also, I think probably something else is going to go wrong. For example, you buy a, a $20 set of knives, the handle is not... I mean, the handle breaks. I mean, you, you really have to be careful what you buy. Because you... How, one, how does it never go dull? Does it have, like, one of those little cases that you put it in and then it sharpens it daily? Or, I mean, is it the knife itself? What about the handle? A lot of the things, they have to be weighted and they have to be... I mean, this this knife uh, looks like it's never going to break. It's not. It's one-piece unit construction. See? One piece. The other and ones are two pieces. And I've, I've had knives that break on me as I'm using them. The handle just... Snap. falls apart yeah. and it snaps and then you can yeah the blade didn't go dull but I can't use the knife because I can't hold it I don't believe that blade don't go dull the only way that it will not dull is if you don't use them <laughs> uh, blades like any other mechanical instrument require maintenance and what's uh, uh, what's the best way to keep them sharp the uh, the that ro that rod that you go yeah, no. the honing steel yes this is for a regular maintenance. It will realign the edge. So even though the, the knife might still be sharp, it won't be straight. And we need to realign the edge. It will keep the knife sharper and smoother for a long time. Once in a while, you need to take a little bit of metal and this will bring back the edge to the knife. And is that something people can do on their own at home, yes. or do you have to take it to a professional knife sharpener guy? I uh, recommend and encourage everybody to maintain his own uh, knives. If you have the right knife from the right metal, it's easy to be done, mm -hmm. easy to accomplish at your own home. Have the honing steel, have a sharpener. You don't need any fancy thing, any electrical. You don't need to send it out elsewhere. Just like a handheld metal sharpener? Yes, it will work perfectly. If you have the right steel, we are, as mentioned, we are using 440C, mm -hmm. which is a high carbon steel. It's the metal of choice. Mm -hmm. It will be perfect. And Mark will understand about the, you know, having a knife for different things, because at one point he couldn't find our really great um, sushi cutting knife, 
and he tried to use the bread cutting knife. Yeah, it was ridiculous. You cannot cut sushi grade tuna with bread knife. It comes out in shreds. It will tear it. Will tear it. Yeah, it doesn't work. Yeah. That's what I was saying today when we were doing the demonstration. We were cooking a seared, seared ahi mm-hmm. tonight, and I picked up one of your knives, and it's cut mm. through it like it was a TV commercial. It was freaky. Perfect. I thought it was a TV commercial. <laughs> <laughs> so people can keep their own knives sharpened at home. And how often, every if you're using the knife as your number one knife, you're sharpening every year, every month, every week? The honing should be done uh, all the time. Okay. So if you hone your knives uh, on, uh, every time before or after your uh, prep is done, then sharpening, gentle sharpening, and I call it fine-tuning, uh-huh. is done probably once every two to three months. Okay. And more serious uh, sharpening with the V-sharpeners or uh, the handle sharpeners that you have at home that are available everywhere, probably once a year. It's more than enough. Lucas is under a German uh, knife, German cutlery, and we also have a new line of uh, cookware, which is the first stick-resistant cookware in the world. What do you mean the first stick-resistant ah. cookware in the world? Yeah, what Let's about Teflon about and all that stuff? Teflon no, Teflon are, is horrible. It's, it's coating. It. Yeah, it's coating, and when you, you scratch it, you eat it, you have it in your system. Most Americans have Teflon in their system because Correct. they're eating it, and that is horrible for you. Correct. Uh, most of the, non, of the non-stick that you are familiar with have some kind of coating. It can be Teflon, it can be ceramic, or other materials. What we did, we didn't try to compete with the non-stick. We took the current stainless steel, which is the best mm-hmm. material, because it doesn't interact with your food. It doesn't change the taste of your food. If you are cooking with ceramic or Teflon, it will change the taste of the food. Because it's chemically interacting with the chemicals, food. Chemicals, exactly. You are talking about health, and people are forgetting that they are cooking their health food in something which is not necessarily healthy. So we took the stainless steel, which is known as the best material. Because it's completely inert to cooking. And this is why they use it in uh, surgery rooms. And we put it through a mechanical uh, polishing. It's called electro-polishing, which makes it very, very smooth. It's like a mirror. Uh So particles will not stick. There are no pores to stick uh, into. And this makes our cookware, stainless steel, stick resistant. So you're not adding a coating of any kind. Nothing. You're just polishing it to, so it's so smooth, yes. nothing sticks to it, and even when things get hot. It's very hot. There's one company that um, my mother had all this great cookware called Lifetime. Is it comparable to that? We are a few notches above that. We are a five-ply, which means that they're three ply, right? They are three four. ply. We are five ply. So from the bottom all the way to the edge of the pan or pot, we are five ply. It's get get it uh, even distribution of heat. Also, we have a patented uh, dome um, lid, which is like uh, it circulates the hair. Like the a air, convection the, it's a convection. oven. Exactly like a convection oven. The hot air goes up, and then it goes down because it's a dome. It's not a flat. A lid which brings it to a much faster we can show and we do it from time to time not in commercial but we do show it in uh, some events we can take a steak or a chicken that you forgot to unfreeze it we take it frozen 
from the freeze to the table in 15 minutes. What? That's unheard of. This is a fact. I've never heard of that. And the best cookware well, it makes sense, ever though. was ovens my cook mom's better. older uh, lifetime uh, cookware. And the company went bank. I mean, they went out of yeah. They, they were really really expensive. Um, and I, they had a lifetime guarantee, but they, they, that company don't Which no longer exist. Which does you exists. jack shit with a good if the company's out of business. I know. Um, they went out of business, and I, you know, I've kept looking for that brand or you know that type of uh, cookware which was absolutely phenomenal one of the sponsors of this show is Rostelli mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we have some shows with Rostelli we take a frozen uh, steak 15 minutes ready to go wow and are you engineering Dave you, you design engineer. all these things yourself uh, me and my partner we are uh, my partner founded the company I joined him in uh, 2009 and we took the company a little bit uh, further. 2010, we introduced uh, the cookware, and it's doing very well. Talking about prices, some decision that we took long time ago was um, to eliminate the retail. So our product, even though they are very, very high quality, and we're comparing the cutlery with the top notch of everyone in the market, uh, you name the brand, we are there. And the same with the cookware we are still able to sell those items in a very affordable price. Uh, we are about half the price of an equivalent or similar item in the market. How do you get interested in designing cookware? Did you train for that specifically, or what, what's your degree in? My partner is a mechanical engineer. I'm an electrical engineer, but my father had a factory for metal. So oh, it comes it together and uh, things happen. And currently we are selling all over the country. We started our international activities uh, and we are growing quite fast. It's not the sexiest of gifts, but a good pot. I mean, I still have one of my grandmother's pots. from it's for life. Yeah, it is. And, and, um, and I still remember my mom's cookware. And I, I'm telling you, I was Well, and you make a good point. The, 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 some of the nonstick things are like the aluminum pots. They're finding out that that's... Maybe linked no. to Alzheimer's disease. Absolutely, it's linked to Alzheimer's. Stainless steel is always the um, the safe, smart choice because it, yeah. it doesn't interact with anything. Especially yeah. when today we are talking about health and conscience and environment Absolutely. and all those things. And we pe- get enough stuff from the outside world. We don't need it in our own kitchen. Well, definitely, you don't want to cook your health food in a non-healthy <laughs> right. cooker. You go through all the trouble of going to farmers markets and finding organically sourced, locally grown yeah. food, and then you're adding Teflon to it. <laughs> Makes no sense. All right, well, Dave from Gunter Wilhelm, thank you so much for joining us on A Fork on the Road. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. What's your website? GunterWilhelm.com. It's uh, Gunter, G-U-N-T-E-R, Wilhelm. It's W-I-L-H-E-L-M.com. Oh, America, America, God shed his grace on thee. How about that? A product actually made in America still. Yep. And they're engineers, so they know what they're talking about. Right. And the cool thing is the pots or the, the lids of the pots stand up on their side. <laughs> it's uh, GunterWilhelm.com is the uh, the website. They gave us some stuff to test out. Works great. And um, you they know, know I, yeah. everything about the taste of Philadelphia was fantastic, I would say. I think so, too. I mean, it was a very well-produced event. 
everything flowed. Mm-hmm. The people were very happy. The portions were big, not tiny little portions. Right. They were giving out crab cakes the size of crab cakes. Right. And they had all the, there was there were food vendors all throughout the floor. And then in a big U-shaped thing, they had all the wine and the liquor distributors. So people were getting in line. This is it. The, the morning session started at what? 11 o'clock in the morning? They, you, yep. get a, you get a glass when you walk in the door, and people were getting in line at the beginning of the wine line, and there were probably <laughs> 25, 30 at vendors. Least. So they get in line, and they just they just went from table to table, tasting wine, tasting Evan Williams, uh, bourbon, vodka, vodka, tequila. And by the time I was watching people, we were three or four, I, I was signing books three or four tables in, right? Uh-huh. By the time they were at the end of the 30 thing, you know, after they've been, people were hammered. So then they go to the food. And then they would eat, and then they would just come and walk around and, and talk. But you know what? They also had chai. I tasted this great. It's called chai kana chai. Mm-hmm. It was delicious. Um, they had coffee to bring you back after your right. you know, wine line. And uh, they had all these great foods. And they had chutneys and, um, oh, this great natural Caribbean chutney, which I didn't know the word chutney until... I came to the U.S., but we this um, natural aisle, I think it's called, from uh, Tropical Gourmet, had this incredible mango, pineapple, all natural stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was delicious. That was my go-to sweet thing, because I didn't really have dessert. I had all the soups, because I'm a soup girl. I had um, the polenta from Barbie and the pumpkin soup from Barbie. I had the... Southwestern pumpkin soup from the Letter Act Tea Room in uh, Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And oh, one of my favorite things, I have to tell you, it was um, Chef Jeffrey Johnson's acorn butternut squash. Okay, I have to say, it made my knees weak. It was so good that we're going to have to call him, we're going to have to have him in the show because I want that recipe. Well, people can find out more about all the people that were at the Taste of Philadelphia at uh, GourmetShows.com. That's the company that produced it. All, we left out Debbie Mazar, who I thought was fantastic. Oh, she was great. Debbie and her husband, Gabriel Corcos, uh, did a big uh, cooking demo, again, about growing locally, and they made some good Italian food. Uh, she chef, is so fabulous. Chef Fabiani, Fabiano, Fabio, Fabio Vivani. No, no, no. Let me say you it. Say it. I'm the Cuban with the Italian Yeah, but I'm an Italian. I should be able to say it. Fabio Viviani, which turns out he is the chef from one of my favorite restaurants, Mm -hmm. which is down the street from us. It's called Firenze. Right. All Italian, um, phenomenal food. Wow, his food is good. So we're going to have to go and check out the chef's table with uh, Fabio Viviani. And we'll have Fabio on the show. And uh, and it was really great to see Debbie Mazar. Last year, the celebrity that I had to cook with was oh here we go again. Uh, did I already discuss this on this yeah. show? Yes, I did. See, Sean okay. is saying yeah. All right. Do you want to talk about? No, it you know what? She's such a piece of crap. I don't even want to give her oh say God. her name. Don't need to. But it was. I, and you're gonna have to. So find I did it on another show. I did say did. I talked about her was by. Last show? Yeah. Okay. Oh, last show. I was so incensed that wow. I so I so He's I go, still talking about. No wait. I'll, I'll say this without saying her name. So it was uh, one of those uh, women from the famous housewives of whatever. And I went on stage this past weekend in Philadelphia and was getting ready to introduce Debbie Mazar. And I kind of went off on a tangent about what a piece of crap this person from last year was. And there were a couple women in the audience. And I said, who's here from last year? They raised their hand. And I said, Isn't it, wasn't this person a piece of crap? And they were like, yes, I can't believe you're saying that. So it was a pleasure 
and an honor and just a delight to see a happily married couple like Debbie and Gabrielle cooking, talking about their life, cooking. The whole, it was just wonderful. It was such a step up from last year's hell. <laughs> hell. He had to share the stage and, you know, dance around for 45 minutes because she was late. Yeah. So I'm, I'm doing stand-up in front of a bunch of angry house frows who are pissed off that they're not in seat A1A. So much. It was just a much better experience this year, all the way around. Chris Meyer and the whole group that do uh, the Taste of Philadelphia. Thanks for having me out again. Uh, hopefully, I'll be back again next year. If I'll you, be back too. Yeah, I got invited. Whether I as go well. or not, right? Um, and all <laughs> that the people. Such a great show. I I will absolutely be back anytime. So, and if you want to find out all the people that were there, you go uh, just Google uh, Taste of Philadelphia. Festival of Food, Wine, and Spirits. It's uh, gourmetshows.com, and you can uh, find the websites from all the people we've been talking about. It was a great weekend in Philadelphia. Next week, we're going to talk about New Jersey. There's good things to talk about New Jersey. Yes, there food. are lots of good food in New Jersey. So until next week, I'm Mark DiCarlo. You can find me on Twitter at Mark DiCarlo. She's Yenny Alvarez. You can find her on Twitter at Traveling Diva, and you can find everything about our show. Everything you want to know, all the recipes, all the people, all the links at aforkontheroadshow.com. And subscribe to us on iTunes. We'll see you next week at A Fork on the Road. Hey,